Welcome to the Northumberland Settlement Podcast, the only settlement podcast in Southeast Ontario focusing on immigration news, stories of success, and music. In each episode, your hosts, Rosa and Emilio, will have updates for you on the latest immigration news with guest speakers and music from their countries. And now, your hosts, Rosa and Emilio. Welcome to Northumberland Settlement Podcast. In today's podcast, we will interview Annie McCoy, who will be talking about the labor market impact assessment and how to hire a temporary foreign worker. Later in today's podcast, we will be talking about immigration news and information relevant to our newcomer community. a dedicated professional with over 20 years of experience in business and law for making personal connections and solving problems. These attributes are what drew her to immigration, where she has developed an expertise in LMIA, as we know is Labor Market Impact Assessment process, and a keen interest in complicated cases that require reapplication or remedies. And it's a professional who seeks to provide quality, personalized service to her clients and to work closely with them through the immigration process from start to finish. Welcome, Annie, to Northumberland Settlement Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, thanks to you for accepting this interview. Uh, Annie, where, where do your family comes from? We are from Coburg, Ontario. Uh, my mother was born and raised here. and My father moved here uh, for work when he was quite young, and, and they met working as school teachers in Coburg. So I've been here my whole life. Um, I think it is the best place that you can live in Ontario, uh, or at least Northumberland and everything around. We just have such a great place to live, and um, I moved away for a little while and I'm now back and I'm just loving it. My family, um, we have been in Canada for five or six generations. So I always say I'm Canadian because it's you have to go pretty far back to find out where we're from. But mm -hmm. um, we have roots in Northern Ireland. We have roots in um, England and Scotland. Who is Annie and what is your practice? My practice is Immigration Station Canada. Um, and I can tell you a little bit about how this came to be. Um, Rosa, one of my first, the first people that I brought to Canada was from Peru. Um, a couple from Peru and Argentina. And at that time, I had to learn a little bit of Spanish. and It's not so great now, but uh, it was part of the experience. And at that time, I was not an immigration consultant. I was a, I had a horse farm. And a person applied to a job on my farm and I realized I couldn't hire them because they were so far away and it wasn't going to work. But I was able to find them 
an employer in Canada who really needed a worker of this type. Um, so they applied for a permit through a pretty high profile firm in Toronto, and it was denied. And at that point, I felt really bad that they'd spent all this money on this application um, and asked if I could have a crack at it. So I did. And about eight eight months later, they arrived in Canada with valid work permits after doing my first LMIA. Um, and that was my first immigration experience. So it was a big deal for me. I had to do a lot of processes with no prior knowledge. And as you may have heard, the LMIA process is quite difficult. Um, it's very detail-oriented. Um, and it's a very important process because what it does is it, um, and I might be jumping ahead here, Emilio, if I am. please. No worries. Me. Yeah, it's it's an important process for Canadians because what it does is that it ensures that we're not giving away jobs that could be filled by a Canadian. And so we're, we're just making sure that we're looking after the people in Canada first, but also we're looking after the people in Canada by allowing them to hire foreign workers where there are shortages or we need that foreign expertise because there are so many people around the world that have um, areas of expertise that we no longer have in Canada. People aren't studying that type of practice or they're not doing that trade or they just don't have those skills. So we are able to draw from the worldwide labor market and bring those skills back to Canada. So it's it's right. very important, valuable process. All right. That's, that's great. Can you explain what the market impact assessment is? Yes, I can. Um, so, again, the labor market impact assessment is an assessment done by Employment and Social Development Canada that determines if we need a foreign worker to fill a position in Canada. So, what happens when we do this process is that we advertise a position to Canadians and Canadian permanent residents And we see what kind of a recruitment results we get. So how many people applied to the position? How many qualified people applied? Um, what happened during the interview process? And, you know, what was involved in all of that recruitment? So we prepare an application after we have advertised the position for four weeks. Um, and we submit that to the Canadian government, to um, Employment and Social Development Canada, also known as ESDC. And they will assess our findings based on how we have created the advertisements um, to find people, how we have assessed each candidate that has applied to the position, um, and just all the areas surrounding that hiring process. And when they do that, they will also have an interview with the employer. They will make sure that it is a real job. They check the business's legitimacy. And when they complete that, they determine if hiring a foreign worker will have a positive, a neutral, or a negative impact on the labor market in Canada. So if we determine that it will have a positive impact, then we are allowed to hire um, a foreign worker to work in whatever position that we are trying to fill. If they determine it will have a negative impact or an error was made on the labor market impact assessment and the process was not done correctly, then we are not permitted to hire a foreign worker. So sometimes it's a matter of reapplying because perhaps there really wasn't anyone to fill the position, but we didn't do the process properly. 
um, the advertisement maybe was missing something or was inconsistent from one posting to the next, or, um, you know, there can be other errors that people make when they're doing the process. And so that can also result in a denial or a negative decision. Um, and in that case, we would we would reapply and do things correctly or adjust it according to what the officer was requesting. And then we may get a positive decision the next time and determine that, yes, we do need to fill the position with a foreign worker. But, you know, the the process is really just a bit of a check and a balance to make sure that we are making sure that we are hiring Canadians wherever we can. And then we are opening up our market to foreign workers where they can really benefit our market. What about the um, um, Im the immigrant worker, the farm workers? So um, the I love the agricultural stream and I do a lot of work in the agricultural stream. Um, I would say, oh gosh, at least 50% of my applications are agricultural based. And there are different ways that you can do this stream. So we have probably what you're familiar with, which is that seasonal agricultural worker stream where we're drawing from very specific countries and the workers are coming for a period of eight or nine or 10 months and then going home in the winter when, when we don't need as much because it's winter and we're not growing at that time. We also have, um, a regular agricultural stream where we are looking at the wage, it can be lower, a high wage position or a skilled or a, an unskilled position. And then finally, we have a permanent residency supporting stream for agriculture positions that are in national occupation codes, zero A or B. So that's when we're looking at hiring a skilled agricultural worker, um, for example, uh, in a, a farm supervisor would fall into that category. Um, and we want them to come for two years and we want to support their permanent residency because ultimately we may want to keep them on for longer than the two years we may want them here permanently. So that is, um, that's a stream that I like to work with because I like to be able to declare that dual intent right away. We know that most people who want to come to Canada um, for a longer period, they want to stay in Canada. So, When we do a dual intent LMIA, we're stating to the, the Canadian government right off the hop, this person's coming here and they may stay in Canada. We're being very clear with the government. So then when we do the work permit, we've already declared that dual intent. Um, and sometimes that can make the work permit go a little bit more smoothly. It's also a good relationship between the employer and employee because they've laid that out right off the bat. So that's one that I like to do for skilled work. Um, less... Uh, or unskilled, I don't, I do not believe they're unskilled positions, but they're considered unskilled through the National Occupation Code, such as a general farm worker. Um, we have to look at permanent residency through different eyes when we are, when we are doing that application. Um, it's a great way for people who do not have a university degree, um, or tons of experience. It's a great way for them to be able to come in and really contribute to the Canadian economy through their work and ultimately get permanent residence, but it might be a longer path to that, through that process. Um, but yeah, we, we need farm workers in Canada. We need general farm workers. We need skilled farm workers. We need seasonal workers. And this is the process through which we're able to bring them to Canada. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to know also uh, about the What are the programs that are exempt 
of labor market impact assessment. Can you repeat that for me, Rosa? <laughs> sure. Uh, what are the programs that are exempt? Of ah, so some of the exempt. Yeah. Yeah, so there are quite a few um, LMIA exempt programs also. Um, <laughs> right off the top of my head, I, I will admit that they won't flow nicely off the top of my head. But one of the big ones that I use a lot is... Um, for example, uh, under Kuzma, which used to be NAFTA, we can bring professionals from the USA mm-hmm. to an employer job offer rather than having to go through the whole process of a labor market impact assessment. Another program that we use is the intracompany transfer. So if you've got a company in another country and you're opening a branch in Canada or you have a branch in Canada, in some cases, you can move a worker from that country to um to Canada to work through that intercompany transfer process. And in that case, we're also doing an employer job offer through an employer portal, um, which is created uh, through the IRCC website. It's a little bit of an involved process. And once you do that employer job offer, you have to pay the employer compliance fee of $230. And then you apply for a work permit based on that job offer. So it's important that the... um, employee meets the eligibility requirements and that they are also capable of doing that job and that we are able to prove that through the work permit that they're eligible for the LMA exempt job offer and that they qualify for the actual job. So those are probably the two main ones that I use, but there are also um, many free trade agreements or different not free trade, but trade agreements. Um, There are trade agreements with South America. There are trade agreements with the USA. There are trade agreements even with um, Europe. And so they're all slightly different. They have some similarities and some differences. So we will go through those programs when it benefits us because it's a lot faster to come through an LMIA exempt program than it is through an LMIA program. Um, And so we will use those wherever possible. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And uh, how long take uh, uh, this uh, this process, LM, LMIS process? Well, it varies wildly. <laughs> um, and it varies depending on a, a lot of different factors. Mm-hmm. So one thing that can cause a variation is um, COVID. COVID slowed mm-hmm. things down big time. Um, Another thing is if it's not a prioritized um, national occupation code, so it's not something that Canada really knows that they need now. Um, In contrast to that, if we have a prioritized national occupation code, such as a healthcare aid, um, which would be similar to a PSW, but they would work in a long-term care home, those are processed so fast, you know, almost instantly. We'll submit the application, they'll take payment four days later, and then two days after that, they're processing the application. Mm -hmm. So there is a definite um, consideration being given to these um, applications that need priority because we need those positions as Canadians. Mm-hmm. Right now, agriculture positions are being prioritized and the advertisement requirement has been waived. So that means that we can submit applications much more quickly um, and then they are processed very quickly to make sure that we can get people to Canada to fill those roles very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, other jobs um such as an administrative officer would be processed very slowly because generally a company can kind of deal without maybe it can be done online mm-hmm. um it's maybe not as needed by canadians so they're processed 
considerably more slowly. Um, but we are, we, ESDC, Employment Social Development Canada, is a great branch of the government to work with. They, it's a very human branch and um, they really do try to work with Canadians and Canadian businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good to know. Can you tell me, I, I, um, I'm going to just ask probably the same in a different way, sure. but I want to make sure that um, people from outside understand um, the process. Because as a settlement uh, services in in Cumberland, I receive um, emails of calls from people from abroad that want to come to Canada under a work contract. And um, it seems like it's easy for them, uh, they, they think, to find a employer that is willing to do the process. So it's, it's um, again, it's not that easy, right? It's... Um, uh, you you need to be um, really required for, by the company in a special way, right? Yeah, there needs to be a genuine need in order to get a positive LMIA. So, you know, if if you um, advertise a position for an administrative assistant in Canada for, oh gosh, you know, virtually any company, um, and you get 250 resumes and you review them and you can't find one person to work in that position, it's unlikely that that will result in a positive LMIA because out of 250 people, surely you could find someone to do the job. You know, that's not always the case. Sometimes we get 250 applicants and and they aren't able to do the job. It's just that everybody's trying to get the same job. Um, Mm -hmm. But in a job like that, you know, with some training, you could probably fill it. Whereas something like a plumber, where we have a shortage of those skilled trades, that we are likely to get about six applicants and you might get one plumber's apprentice if you're lucky. So in that case, you're more likely to get a positive result. So when people are coming through, people sort of uh, get kind of, they don't laugh, but we get kind of fooled by this thing. But sometimes it's easier to come through as a general farm worker than it is as a CEO of a company in the USA. Wow. Yeah. Um, that that brings another question. Um, what about um, those uh, professions that are uh, licensed or uh, they have a special, like, you know, uh, yeah. doctors or engineers or? So if you have to be licensed in Canada, in Canada, then generally to work, you need to have a Canadian license to be able to come to Canada immediately and work. It depends if your license has been approved by the governing body in Canada. So, you know, if the, if OBC, which is the Veterinary Board in Ontario, approves the license from England, then that person could come here and they could start working as a veterinarian. Um, assuming they've done all the other immigration aspects, whereas somebody coming from Peru would need to recertify their license in a Canadian educational setting. So that becomes a challenge for them because they can't just come here and start practicing as a vet. They need to come here and perhaps they get a job as a veterinary technician or they came through as a general farm worker. And while they're here, they are working towards becoming recertified under the Canadian standards so that they can do practice veterinary Mm -hmm. medicine in Canada. Now, in some cases, 
such as with um, jobs like auto mechanics who need trade certification. The government has recently started to relax the rules surrounding that so that people can come and get their certification in Canada. Because what was happening was we were saying you have to have this certification, but how can they get the certification without coming to Canada to do the certification? So it was a little bit of a chicken and egg process that was preventing people from coming and working when they had some good skills that we needed. Um, And we're just seeing that now, um, you know, it's been in the last few months that that has changed. And different provinces need different certifications. Some do not require a certification. Some do require a certification. So if, for example, Ontario requires a certification, but Manitoba does not, then in some cases, a person may go work in a different province, become certified, and then they can go to a province where certification is required. I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, something also there uh, is about uh, how uh, somebody would, uh, be able to find out about jobs in Canada? What so it's different? very, it's very difficult. Um, finding a job in Canada is a lot like finding a job at home. It's mm-hmm. a lot about who you know. So it's important that you're creating networks. And I always think that LinkedIn is a great place to meet people and create networks. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to get to know people because that's how people hire. The LMIA process is a daunting process for Canadian employers who don't know a lot about it. And so if they are on your team, they're more inclined to kind of look into that process and to maybe do that process. So one thing is educating Canadian employers about the labor market impact assessment process and how that can help their business by having the right people in the right places. Um, You know, and then the other thing is, building those relationships with Canadian employers so that they want to hire you because it is a personal relationship. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, this um, LMIA has to do with open war permit or is totally, it's something totally different? No, that would, so an LMIA will get you a closed work permit. Um, so you are with that employer for the duration of that contract. Usually it's two years. Um, the if you're working in a skilled position, which would be a type 0A or B, then your spouse can come with an open work permit. And so sometimes you can leverage that a little bit. Um, one partner has a closed work permit. The other partner has an open work permit, but they're both gaining Canadian experience. Um, and so it's just sort of determining who should have the closed work permit and who should have the open work permit. Sometimes that is just who can get the job with the closed work permit. Um, But if they do have options available to them, then if you can find some flexibility in that, you can give whoever needs the open work permit more that permit. So we will consider these factors when we're doing work permit applications, if they do have those options, you know, who would be better off to have the closed and who would be better off to have the open work permit. Very interesting. Do you have any other questions, Rosa? Well, yeah, I, I was thinking, um, I don't know if I if that question was uh, responded before because I've had some technical <laughs> problems, but uh, is uh, how somebody can apply to, to extend a work permit from inside Canada? If it's... Yeah, so if they're already working in a job in Canada, then they can apply for a work permit extension. The important thing is that the application is made prior to the expiry of the previous work permit. 
Um, and as long as that application is made prior to that expiry and they have a new labor market impact assessment or their partner has a new labor market impact assessment and they're applying for an open work permit, then they will go into what's called maintained status. It used to be called implied status and now it's called maintained status. So they'll remain on maintained status until their new work permit has been approved. So mm -hmm. they are allowed to stay in Canada. They're allowed to continue to work until a decision has been made on that permit. Um, but if they do leave Canada, then that permission to work that maintained status will um, become null. Mm -hmm. Something else I would like to, to ask you is about, about the multiple types of LMIA. Uh, can you tell us what, how many of them are? The <laughs> Let me see if I can do this off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> there are a number. So as I said, there's that permanent residency supporting LMIA. There's a low-wage LMIA, which is for any application that falls below the provincial median wage. So right now in Ontario, it's 24.10 or 24, I believe it's 24.10 or 24.05, somewhere in that area. So if, it, if the wage is below that amount, then it's a low-wage LMIA. And then if it's above that amount, it is a high-wage LMIA. Mm. Um, and there are different requirements for each one. So for example, a low-wage LMIA, there's a requirement to advertise to at least two underrepresented groups. And so we would target groups like um, disenfranchised youth, aboriginals, newcomers to Canada, and people with disabilities. And you would choose two groups to target. Um, and when I'm targeting those groups, I try to make sure that they make sense with the application that I'm submitting. So, um, you know, if I'm doing quite a skilled position with that has a high experience requirement, then I'm probably not going to target under or you know, disenfranchised youth because they may not have that type of skill. So in that case, I might target an Aboriginal group and a newcomers to Canada to try to get some of that experience piece. So it's just a bit of um, just thinking through what's going to give you the best uh, market to advertise to. So with a high skill or sorry, high wage rather, high wage um, application, which is above that provincial median wage, then we don't have a requirement to advertise to an underrepresented group. In this case, we need to advertise to um, groups that are national in scope and that makes sense in terms of that op occupation. Um, so in addition to that, we have the um, agricultural stream, the seasonal agricultural worker program. Um, we also, although it's it's kind of on the verge of LMIA, but we have the global talent stream, which is a bit of a mini LMIA. There's no advertising requirement in that case, although advertising is always encouraged. We always mm -hmm. want to work with Canadians. Um, but this one is specifically for um, global talent with tons of experience who are really going to benefit the Canadian market in very specific positions. Mm -hmm. So that I would say covers the majority of the LMIAs. There's also a caregiver LMIA, but at this time it is restricted to in-Canada only applications. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that is a very challenging stream right now. I hope that we will see, on a personal note, I hope that we'll see some changes to it because right now there's just a permanent residency stream from outside of Canada for caregivers. Um, and Canada needs caregivers. So I'm not sure if that makes sense entirely, but um, immigration shifts and immigration programs shift. So right now you can only do a caregiver LMIA if somebody is already in Canada. 
I don't know when or if that will change, but, um, you know, as I said, they do kind of shift around depending on the need. So I suspect that we'll see something different at some point. Mm -hmm. And um, it is uh, any way you, you can get uh, permanent residency um, through this process? So through the LMIA process, um, LMIA is a temporary resident temporary residency process. Um, the so what happens is you do that LMIA, you get permission to hire a foreign worker. That foreign worker then does a work permit. They come to Canada and they work. The benefit of coming to Canada to work is that if you're in a skill type zero A or B, after one year of working in Canada you qualify for the Canadian experience class of express entry, which has a much lower points cutoff um, than the federal skilled worker program. And it's a smaller group of people, a smaller pool of people. So you have a much higher likelihood of um, getting an invitation to apply for permanent residency in that case than you would if you're outside of Canada in the federal skilled worker program. So that's where that, that benefit is, but also um Emilia, those uh, those programs, you know, the, it's designed for those that skilled worker and that skill type zero A or B. But if somebody's coming as a general farm worker, we are seeing a lot more programs available now to help them stay permanently in Canada if that's what they want. Mm -hmm. um, so a general farm worker does fall under if they come to Ontario, for example, they could come through a provincial nomination program called the In Demand Skills. And right now, that National Occupation Code um, for General Farm Workers is being accepted through that program. So it's a great way to come through. You don't need that much experience in the position, mm -hmm. um, and you can achieve that permanent residency. It's a longer process, um, but it's certainly an achievable process. And the only reason it's longer is that you're going through two programs. In that case, you're going through a per, uh, sorry, a provincial nomination mm -hmm. stream, and then you're also going through that federal stream so it's two processes because you're going to get a provincial nomination certificate through the province and then you're going to apply for permanent residency through um, the federal government mm -hmm. you mentioned invitation uh how that works <laughs> so yeah the way um canada's immigration system works is generally speaking we have a program called express entry which is a points-based system Um, and under that title, Express Entry, there are three different programs. There's the Federal Skilled Worker Program, which is geared towards individuals who are outside of Canada. Although if you're inside of Canada, you can still qualify for that program. Um, there is the Federal Skilled, tr Skilled Trades Program, which is for trades workers, specifically those national occupation codes. And then there's the Canadian Experience Class, which is for individuals who have gained one year of Canadian experience working in a job in a skill type zero A or B. So um, if you qualify for any of those three streams, you will create a profile called an Express Entry Profile. And you will gain points for your age, your work experience, your language ability. Um, and what's the last one? I love when I'm talking out loud and I just forget things. <laughs> anyway, so you're gaining points for all of these things. And um, you will enter your profile and you will get a score. So once you have that score, you're just going to sit in the pool while there are express entry draws. And when there's a draw, 
Anyone who falls above the points cut off for that draw will get what's called an invitation to apply for permanent residency or an ITA. So you, some people sit in the pool for a long time. Some people sit in the pool for two weeks because they've got such a high point score. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get that invitation to apply. And then they have 60 days to apply for permanent residency. Um, and in that time, they need to put together their application and make sure that it is accurate. Um, correct and includes all of the required documents. Um, Once that goes through a check, um, the application is accepted into the queue and then it will be assessed to see if they actually do qualify for permanent residency in Canada. And hopefully they've done everything right. And at the end, they do get their permanent residency here. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, this is very interesting. And uh, it seems a little bit complicated. (laughs) <laughs> yes, um, these are a lot to to think about it, and um, but in a way, that's why we have people like you that can uh, help us um, navigate through the system. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yeah, also, yeah. And, and, and I just wanted to mention that while I was talking fast and forgetting to mention all the pieces, the last piece to that point system is that language. Um, And language is a lot of points. So having skill in English or French in Canada, either one, um, that adds, you know, can add 100 points to your score if you have a lot of skill in those areas. So Mm -hmm. it's important that you have a test to have your language assessed. That would be part of that process. And and that is part of where you get those points from. Because you need to work here, right? And uh, you, you need to definitely talk English or French depending on where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very important that, uh, because uh, uh, I know many cases of newcomers or immigrants that came and the problem is the language, really. Even if they have studies in, the, in their own, own countries, uh, when they arrive, sometimes they find it a little difficult, right? So, mm-hmm. but yeah, and something else, uh, honey, is... Um, for our listeners, because um, we know these programs have different kind of uh, variant, variants and, and it's a lot of information. So how they can contact you and um, do you have your website? You can tell them, please. Yeah. Um, if anybody needs some help or advice, they can reach out to me at immigrationstationcanada.com. I have a website there and there is a a place where you can book consultations. And there's also a section called Ask Annie where they can submit a question that, you know, maybe a pressing question they have. Um, it's not, it's something that I get to a little bit more slowly. It's how I write my blog is through questions that people ask me. But if there's something you're kind of curious about and um, it's not on a time frame, then please do submit it and I will get to that and answer your question. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. We uh, this this podcast has a um, a website where we in each episode we um, point out all the uh, website or information that we talk about during the podcast. So we're definitely going to um, put your information there for our listeners that uh, need any any help with this uh, interview. And uh, so, yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's a. It was a very interesting conversation, Annie, and and I, I'm really glad that you came that you came today um, to uh, to explain us what um, 
uh, this process uh, means. Again, as I, I was mentioning before, I had a lot of uh, questions always about coming to Canada, finding a job, how difficult it is to uh, find a job in Canada when you are abroad. Um, so those are uh, questions that um, normally invade my, uh, my input. So um, very interesting, very informative. And uh, I, I really, really appreciate that you um, have the time to, to explain us uh, that today. And, and uh, I'm sure we're going to pa uh, find path in the future with another um, interesting um, interview about another issues with immigration. And yeah, thank you so much for your, uh, for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Ani. Thank you. If you have a family affected with the Ukraine conflict, contact us at sedimentservices at northumberland.ca to put you in contact with organizations willing to help. Return to the lands of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. From Tommy Me Too, enjoy Nights of Camel.
Northumberland Settlement Services help newcomers to adapt and integrate into the community offering support related to business, employment, networking, women empowerment, youth, recreation, and culture. Contact us at settlementservices at northumberland.ca. information. We will talk about some tips from the Newcomer's Guide to Elementary School in Ontario. How do I enroll my child in a school? When you enroll your child in publicly funded schools in Ontario, you will need to provide only the following documents to register your child. Proof of your child's age. You can use their birth certificate, passport, or other travel or identity documents. Proof of address. If you don't have an Ontario photo ID card or Ontario driver's license, you can provide a bank statement, utility bill, or list that shows your name and address. Also, you will need proof of guardianship only needed if you are not the child's parent. And immunization records, you can get a printout from their healthcare provider. Many settlement agencies can help you with registering your child for a school. If you need assistance enrolling your child, you can ask your settlement worker or the school settlement worker for help. They can also help you find an interpreter if you need one. Uh, should you bring other documents or reports? Yeah, if you have your child's recent report cards, samples of their exams, classwork, or textbooks, you may want to bring them with you when you register. That information is then sent to the teachers to understand what they have already learned. If your child is starting secondary school, often called high school, the guidance counselor will likely talk with them about their previous schooling interests and what their goals are for after graduation. The counselor will then help your child choose the appropriate courses and make a learning plan. Can enrollment be denied? It is important to know that all children aged 6 to 18 can and must attend the school, regardless of their immigration status or the immigration status of their parents. This is outlined in the Education Act, the law, the law that governs public schools in Ontario. A person who is otherwise entitled to be admitted to a school and who is less than 18 years of age shall not be refused admission because the person or the person's parent or guardian is unlawfully in Canada. 
Assessments and placement. In some school boards, newcomer students go to an assessment or reception center where their mathematics and English language skills are tested. If your child has developmental learning, health, or other considerations that you feel the school should know about, you can let them know in the registration form or ask what other documentation they might want for your child's file. These things will not prevent your child from enrolling in regular classes. It will just help the school to know what supports to have in place to help your child succeed. Every student learns differently. Some students need more support than others. Your child might need to be evaluated for an individual education plan. For more information, enter to the Newcomer's Guide to Elementary School in Ontario. This guide provides information about what to expect when your children start school and suggests practical ways for getting ready. It offers families a chance to learn about what is available and to better understand school life in Ontario. If you have some questions or you want to know a little bit more, you can go to the website of our podcast. And also, you can go to welcometonorthumberland.ca. That's right, Rosa. Um, yeah, it, it's, um, it's very difficult. Um, not, not difficult. It's, it's tricky to, um, if you are not um, English or French speaker, to understand the, um, how to navigate through the education systems. And, and um, that's why Sediment Services uh, has the uh, capability to help you with uh, settlement school workers. So these workers are um, specially uh, trained to go with you to school and help you uh, to navigate around this issue. Um, mm. uh, English as a second language for your kid uh, or French as a second language, depending on where, uh, where you are uh, placing your kid. Um, and, and it's, um, it's a big help um, through the journey, not, not only to place your kid in the school, but during the time the kid is in school and learning the uh, language. So mm -hmm. it's very important to have that connection between the um, school and, and yourself. Um, that is a service that uh, you can reach out. You can reach out to us and Settlement Services uh, Northumberland, and I can um, definitely refer you to uh, different agencies where um, uh, a school worker, a settlement school worker, can help you um, with the transition uh, to your kid. Um, so it, it's a it's a very interesting. Um, it's a very interesting issue. There is a lot um, help for that. There is a lot of groups that will help your kid uh, to integrate into the uh, school also. Um, so it's um, just reach out and, and we, can, uh, we can help you.
So there is another issue, Rosa, that um, everybody experience when they move or they come to Canada as a, as a new Canadian, and is the uh, Canadian experience in, uh, at the time you are looking for jobs. What is Canadian experience? Funny to say it, nobody knows what Canadian experience is. However, they ask for it. I have asked officials from both uh, the provincial and the federal level um, what is the Canadian experience. And nobody has telling me exactly what it is. So I, I believe that the Canadian experience is not that nobody knows what it is, it, it's that everybody's afraid to call it the way it should be. And is that that you have no other work or job in Canada that can you refer um, as, a, as a good worker, as a good performance uh, in, 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 in your job. So for me, that is the Canadian experience. So for many immigrants is, uh, and high-skilled immigrants, for so many new Canadians, it's very frustrating um, when they are high-skilled that they cannot find uh, uh, jobs in, in their fields. Well, you have to understand that you are in the neighbor's house mm -hmm. as a guest. And we need to be aware that the uh, neighbor's house has rules and we are just there learning. So it's nothing wrong with start your career again on the um, on the bottom of the uh, ladder. So that means yes, you probably have a lot of experience in your field, but you still have to demonstrate that in Canada. So getting a bottom um, a bottom position will help you if the company has the capability or they have the possibilities to climb the ladder to a place where you feel more comfortable with your uh, knowledge and even more because in the, in, in the end you are learning and getting more experience. So yes, we come to Canada with big ambitions and, and most of us, the ambition is start our own careers here in, in Canada. But sometimes we need to, as I normally said, leave your certific certificate uh, of education hanging in your home country and be humble. Mm -hmm. Definitely that's, that's the way to climb the ladder. It's a journey like anything else. Learning or going back to school is another way to, to climb the ladder. That is also give you some um, quote and in quote Canadian experience and uh, will help you a, a lot of time. I can tell you, Rosa, with my own, my own case, I came to Canada, I had a lot of problem to find a job. Mm -hmm, exactly. And I, mm -hmm. yeah, and, and I uh, applied for the most basic job 
yeah. to my level. And the most basic jobs, obviously, I didn't get them because I was overqualified. Mm-hmm. Um, but but why do I need a, a master, a guy washing dishes? Well, I just wanted to work. I needed to work. Mm-hmm. Then jobs that were I was qualified, well, because I didn't work before in Canada, they don't have that reference. So mm-hmm. I couldn't get them either. So I was in a really, really bad situation back then. So I decided to go back to school. But in my case, I decided to just hit the wheel and, and change uh, course. And I went for chef school in George Brown. After I graduated, after two, two years doing the chef train program, suddenly the, the doors start opening. Mm-hmm. Start opening for me. I, I found jobs. I Well, first of all, I first created my job. Creating my job, I opened um, a gelato ice cream shop in, mm. in East uh, Toronto, and and that helped me to get into the network I needed to to just uh, um, um, get uh, or get up to the ladder and and do something else. I had mm-hmm. that uh, business for three years. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, I received uh, an offer to take care of a kitchen in a in a woman's shelter. Mm-hmm. So, the, the, uh, by that time, I thought that the uh, uh, ice cream shop was uh, was um, was a good exer- exercise. Was uh, very successful, but um, I was tired, honestly, and I wanted to do something more. Uh, Monday to Friday, um, uh, the way I used to, and I closed the uh, the ice cream shop and I accept that uh, position. Well, that position gave me more networking. Um, I was working um, attending um, the uh, the kitchen. I was the uh, manager of food and beverage. We had even an emergency food bank for the ladies mm-hmm. that uh, normally is the center. And that gave me the open path for what I am right now. And I can complain, uh, having heart, yes, ups and downs like everybody, but I'm really happy that um, where I am and what I'm doing, that definitely I love. Um, still cooking in a different way, still in my kitchen. But I feel like right now I'm doing more, not only for myself, definitely for others, trying to help others to integrate and be successful in, in Canada. Yeah, and I think that what you're explaining is a, is a situation of most of the immigrants ha- we have when we come to Canada. And, um, and all that step that you you did uh, uh, trying to, to find your your new career or your path in the work workforce uh, it's very important because you are doing exactly the experience that, that you are uh, sharing now show exactly what is the steps that most of us need to have if we want to have success right uh, like you said initially need, we need to be humble and start in um, entry-level jobs, 
uh, in general, right? So because that will give you the the opportunity to create your own network and also uh, even you can uh, start to see your future a little different and adapt your skills that you bring from your country to a new path in in Canada. Uh, for example, I know that you, in your case, uh, you change a little bit your you change your career here in, in Ontario, but, but you came with experience in administration, right? Yes, yes. And that the skills that you bring, that the skills that you bring as your own knowledge, uh, obviously, is also a, a a good help for you to find your own way and ad to adapt in, the, in your new reality in your new country, right? Exactly. Do you remember uh, Mario's interview um, uh, a few podcasts uh, ago? Mm -hmm. He was referring to uh, a friend that asked um, how his kid coming to Canada will be successful. And I remember Marion said that he told his friend, mm -hmm. just get any job, that's the entry level, and that will keep your food in the door for the future mm -hmm. yes. and and that's right that's the um, the key takeaway um here is mm -hmm. getting your food in the door without getting uh, getting it stuck so yes um just getting anything for work will help you first of all to get that quote and unquote canadian experience but also will help you prove who you are and sometimes even um, uh, even more mm -hmm. uh, and will help you climb that ladder. Mm -hmm. That's all. It's, it's, uh, I know it's painful. I know it's difficult. I know we, we have our pride, but that's when I say we need to be humble. Mm -hmm. And yes, we, you know what, you, you can go to New York and, and in, even in, in Toronto, you, you just stop a cab and, and, and the taxi cab is a, is a medical doctor or mm -hmm. is a scientist. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, that's, that's the humble. They are here. They just, just came. They need to work. They need to make money. And, and not everybody can get the luxury to come um, directly to a position in Canada in a company on a, on a, on a higher end position. And, and uh, because the company, um hire you from abroad so no no everybody has that position uh, in in my in my um in my experience when we came to canada um my husband and i well my husband he could bring his job from the united states he used to work for a for a big telecommunication company that happened to have headquarters in toronto Mm -hmm. That's why we choose Toronto. So we moved here. Um, we moved right away when we got our permanent residency. That gave us access to uh, working in Canada and pay our, uh, our taxes. And he just switched from one place to another, use being in the same position. For me, otherwise, was a little different because I have to quit my job in the United States and find something around here. But again, I just needed that Canadian experience. 
So it was um, it was difficult, even mentally difficult. I experienced uh, some sort of uh, anxiety and depression because I can say it, and and I'm sure people will agree with me. I sent hundreds of resumes mm-hmm. and not even a call. Yep. So it's it's difficult. It's uh, I know it's very difficult, but again. You need to find your path. You need to find your path to to that ladder. You need to find the best way. You need to learn to understand what that first step we kept you. Just to making that first step, it gets you the foot on the door, as I said, and that will help you to start your journey in Canada. How was your um, experience, Rosa? Well, in my case, it's very similar uh, situation that you explained in your experience when I came to Canada. But in my case, I, I didn't have any English. So I, and it took me probably really, in reality, five years, more or less. No, even uh, no, no perfect, as you can see. <laughs> Or you can hear, but uh, yeah, more or less five years to be able to manage myself uh, accordingly. And uh, even uh, I, I had a, a postgraduate uh, uh, certificate, uh, but I needed to wait to be able to do that after five or six years, more or less. But yeah, I started also in uh, entry-level uh, jobs. I had some experience and, and um, it's more because I wanted, I knew that that was uh, the way that I can advance a little bit more in in the language and also to create a network. And also in some way, I, as you mentioned in your case, I also I reinvented myself here in Canada because uh, in my own country I, I was working in media and as a journalist. So I find a way to to have contact with a radio station in Toronto for the Hispanic community and and I started my my radio show there and uh, and that was the the first. Imp- impulse that I have to say, no, I need to continue with my, I, I, my, my career. And yeah, finally I did it. But yes, um, the, the key to be successful if you are coming to Canada and uh, need to start again, yes, you need to be humble and, uh, and go for it. And you will have all the help you will have all the opportunities that you don't imagine in this country in Canada. So exactly. and um yeah what about, what about attitude? Oh yes it's, but this is what what I mean the attitude need to be um you you need to come here knowing that you need to learn from from the start a new society a new ways to see and, and, and analyze the things here, right? Because uh, we're coming from different countries and uh, in many aspects, we we do the things in different ways. So you need to be open from a start when you arrive to Canada, then you are coming to learn if you want to succeed, you know? Exactly. So, yeah. 
Yeah, like you, that, that we said. I mean, uh, the other the other piece is the attitude and 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 the attitude toward uh, a situation. The, the attitude that you get toward your situation, looking for job, is definitely a key to. And so, also uh, that what you're mentioning that, and this is part we can say. I can I can I think that this is part of the the kind of uh, skills the now the employers are paying close attention is soft skills. Yes. And uh, they are transfer skills because that's, that's a skill that you can uh, use yeah. in any job. The transfer skills in your case, for example, when you came uh, with the background of administration and you in Canada t took another path and that make more, um, uh, more, more amplitude to the uh, your knowledge in general this is part of your skills right and, exactly. and, uh, and soft skills also are called employability skills and recently because we are seeing that more now from the employers putting much attention to that right and uh, well uh, soft skills saying like uh, is a communication problem solving positive attitudes, like you said, and behaviors, yeah. mm -hmm. adaptability, <laughs> and yeah. you know, working with others. So this is this is now uh, something that is good to put attention uh, to develop that, and you can acquire that if you are working in entry-level jobs initially. So uh, I think that that's the best way to, to go for it, right? Exactly. So I, I can uh, we can wrap it up and actually say in good attitude, Check. Open mind, check. Mm -hmm. Willingness to learn, check. But getting beyond the entry level requires more than just a positive attitude. It needs you to be home mm -hmm. and start from the beginning again. If you have not the luxury to be hired from abroad to a high end um, in your field uh, position. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay? Another thing is uh, you need to consider your credentials. When I came to, mm -hmm. to Canada, I present all my credentials to the uh, University of Toronto, and they um, compare my credentials to a Canadian credentials, and that mm -hmm. level up a little bit also my my uh, my level of instruction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was. Um, that, that helped me to say, okay, I have these studies, I graduate in this, and this is the equivalent in Canadian learning. So uh, that actually gave me a lot um, um, help. Mm -hmm. and, and that is sometimes that is expensive. I remember I have to pay quite uh, a little bit of money. Again, no overly expensive, but it, if you are coming uh, to to Canada, probably you don't have that much money. So any any uh, coin uh, um, is is valuable for you. So I believe the uh, windmill, and I can put this uh, in 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 a website. This information can uh, can give you a micro. Um, you can micro land, uh, small, small uh, landing 
to for you to do this uh, licensing examination. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna put that in um, that information in our website because it's a big help if somebody can give you a hand uh, in order for you to check your credentials. And that is the people from Windmill Microlab. And uh, uh, this is not a commercial for them. It's not an ad. But I have to admit that their help with the newcomer community is very valuable. Mm -hmm. Yes, Emilio. And don't forget to go to welcome to northumberland.ca. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed in this podcast by the host, guests, listeners, and viewers solely belong to those who express them. They don't necessarily represent their employers, affiliate organizations, or other group or individual. Thanks for listening to the Northumberland Settlement Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our interviews, stories, and music as much as we did. Subscribe to our podcast on iHeart, Spotify, Google, iPhone, and more to listen to other episodes. Don't forget to share this podcast with family and friends. Reach out to us with suggestions for future episodes at settlementservices at northumberland.com. Until the next one, be well. <laughs>